My name is Jillian. I will be playing Anisha. It's good to be here. My name is Jordan, and I'm going to be playing Mateo, and it's good to be here. My name is Eli. I'm playing Captain Olivette Alvera, and it's good to be here. My name is Jory. I'm playing Juniper, and it's good to be here. My name is Jesse. I am your DM slash GM slash PYT, and this is Many Realms. Sympathy magic is based upon the tendency of things to be alike. Nature is rich with sympathy at work. A bird, for example, lays an egg, and what hatches from that egg is another bird. Each river flows to the lowest point. You get the idea. Through the working of magic, we can manipulate sympathy to our will. Compel a river to flow uphill, and you will drain its connecting lake. Empower that charm, amplify it to its maximum ability, and you will see all the rivers connected to that one flow uphill. Perhaps even rivers on the other side of the land. The same principles can be applied to our own lives. Attach the wick to the candle seed. Good. Now hang it over the mold. This is the important part. As you pour the rest of the wax into the mold, you must will a connection to take place. Become a conduit of sympathy. Now, do it! You are in the chandlery of Tower Hill. Juniper, Thistleweed, you are standing at the bench as the master chandler of the village, Keon, leans over your shoulder and instructs you in the making of a sympathy candle. Juniper is a young half-elf. She has dark skin, dark hair, and she has a tattoo of like a vine going up her shoulder onto her face just a little bit, and she's probably mid-twenties. I've been doing this for a little bit, so I'm kind of frustrated that he's like giving me these basics. I um, roll my eyes and I dunk my wick into the wax. Mm -hmm. At the end of the wick is a little chunk of a heavier teal wax, that's the candle seed, Mm -hmm. and it will form the core of the sympathy candle. All right. You dunk the wick in into the mold and you pour the rest of the molten wax, and I need you to make a charisma check. So my charisma is plus two. Seven, eight. Eight. Um, You pour the wax into the mold and you leave it there for a moment. After a minute or two, with Keon standing silently at the far end of the room, you open the mold and retrieve the sympathy candle. It does not immediately flicker into flame. It is a failed sympathy candle. I, like, drop it in frustration. It is only just recently cooled, so it shatters on the ground, and Keon sighs and steps forward and grabs a dustpan to sweep up the pieces and says, there's no need for an attitude like that, Juniper. I know, I know, I'm just... I'll try it again. Perhaps it might be best if you take a break. Remember that this is a condition of your attitude and of your willpower. The only obstruction between you and a well-made, perfectly formed sympathy candle is within yourself. I like bristle and paste on a smile. I say, yes, you're right. I'll go get some air. While you're at it, um, why don't you fetch some more candle seed from the tower? Of course. And I 
go out and walk to the tower. Sure, you head out of the Chandlery, and you are in the sort of center of the village of Tower Hill, right by the paved town square where there is a statue of the great wizard Ulacon. Down the road lies the low street district full of crowded buildings um, and slummier neighborhoods. In front of you is the city hall, as well as Ulacon's Manor. And behind Ulacon's Manor, standing straight upright and looking out over the expanse of the thicket, is the high tower. Mm-hmm. When I leave the, the chandlery and I'm out of Keon's sight, I just, <sighs> it's been a bad day. I can't. My unpaid internship of being the Chandler's apprentice is getting to me today, and I marched to the tower. You arrived to the tower. <laughs> I would imagine if there's any protocol, I would know it. No one really comes to the tower without good reason, so 60% of the time it's probably you anyway. Mm-hmm. You drop the heavy knocker against the wooden door, and then the door opens, and you see two children. One of them is a blonde girl. She looks to be about 12 or 13. She has a long braid down about the middle of her back. She's wearing a sort of simple gray dress. And there is a boy, um, perhaps eight or nine, with tousled brown hair and uh, sort of the same gray garment styled as a tunic. Mm -hmm. Behind them is the tower keeper, Anisha. Anisha is a half-elf with medium skin. They have long, dark hair with some gray streaks that they wear in a braid down their back. They similarly wear a gray outfit to go uh, with the children and generally have kind of a stoic, stern look to them. Hi, we just need to pick up some more candle seeds. Back so soon? Oh, making a lot of candles. Are we gearing up for a festival or something? Yeah, in about two weeks, the merchant caravan is expected, and there'll be lots of celebration, and there'll be lots of sympathy candles to also ship out to the rest of the forest to replace any ones that are older or useless. Yeah, you know, it's that time of year. You're going through them fast. Understandable. Why don't you come in? All right, thank you. The inside of the cylindrical tower uh, is mostly stone, but covering the stone is a 360 painting that illustrates and maybe dramatizes, is that a word? Absolutely. The founding of Tower Hill, the uh, various great deeds of Ulicon are painted there. All right. I am unimpressed by this. I've been here a million times. Um, (laughs) I hope that's like internal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, on the outside, I'm fine. (laughs) I'm not explaining to you why I don't like your paintings. So typically, candle seed has to be harvested fresh from the great candle. Uh, after a short while, if it hasn't been imbued with the sympathy magic, it will start to fade. Mm-hmm. So um, in order to give some to Juniper, you'll need to go up and get like a fresh kind of hunk. Sure. Naola, take care of our guest. I will return shortly. Okay. I'm Naola, too. Okay. I climb up a lot of stairs. You climb up a lot of stairs, up about um, three stories to get to the top of the tower. The candle room is quite striking, although, of course, this is the millionth and half time you've seen it. But in case the beauty strikes you, as though it was the first time you set foot in this room, the candle stands in the center of the room. It is a deep, shimmering, teal-colored wax. The top of it has had sort of tears cut away across the years as more and more candle seed has been harvested. Do you know how um, bismuth occurs naturally in a sort of blocky pyramid kind of shape? 
Well, it looks like that. That's the shape of it. And the front half of the chamber has a huge open window in the wall through which the light of the candle can shine across the vast expanse of the thicket as well as the village of Tower Hill. It's late afternoon today. The sun is going to set within an hour or two. And you notice something out in the huge spread of the forest that you have a beautiful panoramic view of. The thicket, of course, is dark with a thick knotted canopy that prevents almost any light from reaching its floor. But there are spots where hills stretch up, Tower Hill, of course, being one of them, that punctuate the top of the forest in little pieces across. And as you look out, you catch something on the hill not too far from the village. There are torches and movement. And as you squint and lean forward, you can see what looks like the wagons of a trade caravan on this hill only about an hour or two from the village. How strange is this? Almost no one heads to Tower Hill without sending advance notice, without a strong reason for coming here. The only group that you could expect this to be is the trade caravan that comes every season to the village to drop off their goods and pick up stuff to supply the rest of the forest. But if they were coming here today, that would be about two weeks early. It's pretty early, but I have an hour. An hour or two. Ish, okay. Well, I will harvest whatever candle seed I need, mm-hmm. uh, and then I'll, I'll send Seth out to uh, let the guard know. Sure. We will follow Seth for a second. He um, sprints out of the tower, always excited for a chance to leave the stuffy stone walls and get a taste of the fresh air of the village. The tower is, of course, only a few paces from the village center. And that is where he sees Captain Olivet Alvera of the Tower Hill Guard. She is looking pretty busy. She is standing over two teenagers, disciplining them. There is a shopkeeper nearby who is tugging on his apron and kind of worrying it into little knots. One of the teenagers is a scruffy looking boy of 12 to 16. He has dirt matted hair and tears in his clothes. And he is still kind of, as he's being disciplined, maybe half fighting this short chubby girl with a very mean expression and curly red hair. Her name is Charity White. Captain Alvera, what do you say to these children? Mateo and Charity, how do you two always seem to be at the center when I'm called? I try to kick her shins. Captain Alvera's shins. Yes. Does um, it work? I guess you could make a <laughs> attack roll. Make an unarmed strike against Captain Alvera. Natural 20! That's a natural 20. Shatter your shin. <laughs> you, you get a little boy shoe to the shin. I, you absolute punk! I want to grab him by a scruff. Okay. And is the shopkeep still around? Mm-hmm. Sir, I'm sorry this happened today. Please explain what Mateo presumably did. Well, um, they both came into my store, the, the bakery, and uh, as soon as I turned my back, I saw both of them running out with their shirts just stuffed with loaves of bread that they didn't even pay for. I turn to Charity and I say, Charity, you are usually very good. I know that your parents would be very disappointed. If you tell me what happened, I will not put you to work in the bakery. Charity takes a step back and she considers her circumstance for a second 
and she takes a glance in at everyone involved in the scenario, and she said, Mateo made me do it. I didn't want to, but he made me. He said he was going to beat me up if I didn't, so I had to. I'm sorry. Look, Cap, you can drop the whole spiel. Are you just going to say that my parents were going to be uh, impressed? Oh, wait, I don't know them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took the bread, but it, what, it, what do you want me to do? He's got plenty. Okay. Try and kick her in the shin. <laughs> no, I'm holding him by the scrub. I can still kick you. You have to do that at a disadvantage now. <laughs> I try and kick her you. above the shin. I'm 6'3". <laughs> Arrow 12. Um, I only have a plus one of my strength. I don't know if that beats your armor class, Captain. I'm wearing chainmail and it's 16. Okay, yeah. Um, he, he struggles fruitlessly. Alright, well, I'm gonna let Charity go, but I give her a stern glance and say, Charity, your mother will hear about this. She kicks the dirt and crosses her arms and, and runs off home. As for this one, I know that he has no food or parents. <laughs> You're still sleeping in the barracks. I'll pay the baker and you can keep the bread. But I take him by the scruff and, and practically drag him across the dirt road and I make my way to the barracks. If all of that is dragging me, uh, I'll look back towards the baker and kind of be coy and be like, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, got your bread. Well, the whole time I'm lecturing you. Yeah, what else is new? However, you don't get to lecture him very much or drag him very far because as soon as you turn around and start dragging him in the direction of the barracks, you run into Seth, who you sort of vaguely recognize as one of the apprentices of the tower. And Seth is super excited and almost gasping for breath, even though he couldn't have run more than like 60 or 70 feet to get to you. Um, he says, they're coming! It's, it's happening! It's today! They're coming! They're coming today! It's Seth, breathe. <laughs> no, breathe slower. Now what? The trade caravan is coming. They're going to be here in an hour. Uh, how, where did this information come from? Anisha saw. Can I try and break free while she's distracted? Do you want to make a dexterity save contested by her strength? Sure. Oh, that's two fours. My strength uh, is plus four. I'm plus four. <laughs> <laughs> what now? Go again. Ugh. <laughs> oh. He won. Right, 17. She tries to sort of yank you back the first time, but you think you, you've got her grip a little weakened and then you can pull away the second time. <laughs> uh, I make it to wherever I could see if it was the caravan. Hmm, where would that be? I don't know if I can, like, uh, brand Stark my way up a tower kind of a deal. There's only the one <laughs> tower, and it's very much like an indoor climb. That's pretty much the only vantage point in this village okay. to be able to see that kind of distance. Wherever I would go when the caravan is coming in, Sure. I'm making a beeline to go... There. You know that they come in through the front gate, they have to meet with the guard first to sort of declare themselves, um, and then they will drop off some of their horses at the stable, they will, some of them get rooms at the rabbit cleaver, and then they will set up along the sort of market path that's carved out for them. Okay. So I guess kind of close to the gates. Sure. Where you were going to drag him anyway. Uh, yeah. Go, go ahead. I say, Seth, I need you to run to Toby and to Charval. You're going to tell them respectively to warn the council people and the rabbit cleaver that we have guests coming. Return to Anisha and let them know that I got the message. Seth does indeed spread the word. He tells Florentine, Stevenitis, and Orlock, the three town keepers, that the caravan is due to arrive early. He tells Toby and Sherival to do their errands, and then he returns to you, Anisha, and says that the message has gotten out. Now, typically... When the seasonal caravan arrives, it's cause for a bit of celebration. The children of the village or 
the elderly or infirm, otherwise idle villagers often make little wax poppet dolls to decorate the area where the market stalls get set up as a sort of celebration of the prosperity of the village. People will make nice dinners. There will be dancing and song often. It's the closest thing that you get to a holiday in a village that is surrounded on all sides by the dense and menacing thicket. In a lot of ways, it's a celebration that people have managed to travel from one point to another at all successfully. I will suggest that we move to the front gate and to the arrival of the caravan, unless anyone has something they insist we discuss that happens in the next hour. No, but Olivet is standing in the very center. So typically what you do is a sort of custom style approach. The caravan enters, you sort of do a brief interview with each individual uh, wagon, uh, its members and its contents, and then you send them on their way. At this point, since you've had your job for a long time and you're pretty good at it, you're aware of most of the people who come and go, like you recognize merchants who travel year over year. Now, this caravan looks bad. Some of the wagons have deep gouges in the side, some wheels have splintered spokes, some of the tarps that overhang the wagons have been clawed or have uh, unfortunate looking stains on them. Do I recognize these merchants? You do. Um, you recognize the first one anyway. There are five wagons in all, and the first one is headed by a woman named Barth. She is a halfling. She knows you perfectly well. Her specialty is selling preserved feet, uh, preserved meat? <laughs> Barth sells preserved food, salted meat, jam, trail rations, uh, and cookware, knives and pans, that kind of thing. She is a pretty stern woman, and you know her to be kind of blunt and truthful in a way that you kind of respect. She has a cut on her forehead over one of her eyebrows. She says, uh, good evening, Captain. I'm sorry for the uh, short notice. I hope you welcome us all the same. Barth, I must be honest, I'm disappointed by your state. Believe me, no one's more disappointed than myself. We had eight wagons when we set out. We were traveling west from uh, Thorley. We passed through Hartshire about uh, two or three days ago, and we were a half day past there when um, there was an ambush. Of humans? Seemed like a mix. They had cut down some trees, felled them onto the road, so we were forced to stop and clear it. And as soon as we stopped, it was a whirlwind. I didn't see everyone. They attacked mostly from the back. And that's how we lost the last three caravans. And um, we cleared the path as much as we could. We skated through with the horses, and then we took a little side trail to try to lose them. Interesting. And I back in uh, one of the guards, one of my guards. Gwyn steps forward. Gwyn. Run and grab a cleric, now. Yes. And with that, I want to continue the inspection, as if it's normal. So you inspect Barth's uh, wagon normally. It seems to have her usual supplies. The second merchant is one that you don't recognize. Um, she is a tall, pale elf with dark hair. She is dressed in very fine clothes, although they have been a little bit scratched and torn up. And she says her name is Roella and that her business is luxury goods, shawls, perfumes, jewelry, fine silk handkerchiefs. Um, she seems pretty uh, shy and she says, good evening. You don't usually come this way. No, no, it is a new route for me and after 
what we have experienced, I'm not sure if I will come this way again. Did you experience the same things? Of course, we were all together, traveling. I was toward the front. I didn't see anything. Did you see anything happens. extra? What do you mean? And I just think this woman is dumb. And I decide I have no interest talking to her anymore. Okay. She uh, nods her head and she brings in her wagon and she heads to the stable. The third wagon is piloted by a cheerful dwarf named Ogman. Ogman sells uh, weapons and finely constructed tools for artisans. He has an arm in a sling. He says, uh, oh, boy, he would not believe how grateful I am to see the walls of this village. How you doing? Good. You seem uh, a lot more cheery than your companions. Well, I like to be um, optimistic. I think I'd rather focus on the fact that we made it here than on what, um, what just happened. And do you finally know what happened? Well, finally? I mean, I was in the middle of it. Of course I know what happened. They stopped the wagons up ahead. There was a obstruction on the road, and we heard sounds behind us. They attacked from behind, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, pretty good at keeping myself and my kin safe, so I, I pulled out a sword, and I got to it. I've seen a lot of creatures in the thicket in my day. Never before saw uh, wolves made of bones and uh, something that looked kind of like a bear, but not like any bear I ever saw. How far out were you from the city walls? Uh, at least a couple days. We were half a day or so out from Hartshire, and then Barth took us on a little path. I think that cut some time, although it was pretty overgrown. We lost a lot of the kind of integrity of the wagons that way, more from the fighting, honestly. And uh, by the time we cut through there, we were about a day away. I am pretty distracted by this news. I want to pat him on the back as a thanks, but I, but I do it a little too hard. <laughs> Is there um, a healer, by the way? I'm very uh, badly injured in my arm, so I would love to just take a look at that. Uh, yes, I sent one off to the rabbit cleaver, and I kind of brush him off and I let the rest through. The fourth wagon is steered by a little sarcastic looking halfling woman. Uh, everyone calls her Granny. <laughs> she sells um, magical trinkets and accessories. She uh, wheels her wagon up and she says, Bet you heard about all of that. Oh, I did, mostly. Do you know anything else? Uh, I could use a nap. All right, Granny, go take your nap. And the last wagon is a man named Chob. He is a horse merchant, and he explains that he has come to Tower Hill to meet with Stevenitis to discuss the foaling of one of his horses. He doesn't even wait for you to ask. He has a lot to share, and he says, I was, I mean, I'm the back now, but I was five out of eight before, and uh, I saw they, uh, they attacked the rear caravans, and then I saw someone come forward. I couldn't get their face, but they cut the rope. They were trying to separate some of the wagons themselves. I'm a pretty good shot with a crossbow, so I kept a few of them away from me, and some of the more monstrous ones, but you saw they got to Ogman quite badly. Alright, buddy boy, you go see Stevenitis. So now everyone is kind of uh, getting into the celebrations, um, such as they are. The caravan is here, even if it's early. The puppets aren't ready, but we can string up as many as we have. Um, we haven't prepared food, but we can at least kind of all sit down to a nice meal. Let's jump back to... Anisha, who is isolated in a stone room, so it's hard to get a lot of screen time there. Those people that um, Captain Alvera interviewed were the leaders of each wagon. 
of course, there were also, like, sort of uh, drivers or, like, you know, travel maids, people who had hired passage or whatever, just a couple, like, extra hangers-on. And a handful of them are new to Tower Hill, and they have come, of course, to see the tower. Finally, a chance to see inside of it and figure out what's all up in that. It is a little after sunset when Seth and Nayola open the door and, like, bow very grandly, as they've been taught to do, and six or seven people file into the main chamber of the tower. So I make my way down the many stairs to greet my guests. I say welcome to Tower Hill. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> I mean, one of, one or two of them's like that. A lot of them are like, we were attacked horribly. What, what can I do for you all? There are a couple of little kids that are like, what's this tower for? I'm so glad you asked. Naola, Seth, get ready. Naola and Seth, get ready. I'm so excited. So Naola and Seth run over to the painting that depicts the earliest events, and they start acting out as I narrate. For most of his life, Yulikon traveled the thicket helping those in need with his powerful magic. He channeled water to the thirsty, defended those attacked by monsters, and worked countless miracles throughout every corner of the thicket. As he got older, he was less and less interested in traveling through dangerous terrain. He also took on an apprentice, Selway, to whom he began to impart his teachings. It was decided that Yulikon should make for himself a home to live out the rest of his days and to have Selway travel on his behalf. So Yulikon found the tallest hill in all the thicket, and he blew the giant trees and boulders off the top as easily as you would blow out a match. Then he grabbed a rock that was stuck in the earth and pulled the entire tower out of the soil like a carrot from the garden. Then he drew a circle in the dirt, sprinkled some water on it, and grew the stone wall that surrounds this village. At the top of the tower, he placed the candle, declaring that its light should burn and pierce the gloom of the thicket forever. A few dozen people came to live in the presence of such a great figure, and soon a bustling village surrounded the tower on all sides. Yulikon lived out his days in the manor just beyond this tower, and when it was time for him to go, the manor doors closed forever. Overcome with grief, Selway wandered into the thicket, never to return. And now we remember Yulikon through our duty here at the tower, keeping the candle safe and bright so it can guide the lost travelers of the thicket, such as yourselves, and remind them of hope and courage. What kind of actions are Naola and Seth doing? The paintings are pretty dramatic, but they kind of perform like an interpretive dance of it. So if Yulikon is raising the tower out of the dirt, then you know they are lifting their arms repeatedly to summon it out of the earth or sprinkling water. They may be spinning around the circle and that kind of thing. And then, of course, near the end of the story, when things get sad and darker, then they like do some floor work. <laughs> did you teach them all this no the the apprentices always get to 
develop their own interpretation of the story. I love camp. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I think it builds character. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, I need you to roll a performance check. 14. All right. Um, the crowd seems dutifully impressed by your words. They mostly shut up and listen. Some of them, like, elbow each other in the ribs and point and whisper and look at the um, paintings and stuff like that or touch things they shouldn't be touching. But after that, um, they all start to file out and head back to where they're staying. Seth says, Master Anisha? Yes. I know it's a, a really busy day and we should probably sweep, but could we sweep a little bit later if we can go and see all the merchants first? Please? <laughs> of course. Enjoy. Enjoy the celebrations. And Seth and Naola run out of the tower. The door shuts behind them. And you, Master Anisha, are alone. Mateo, what's up? Uh, I probably would have been checking out this caravan. I'm not a very sociable uh, young man. So I would probably be kind of uh, doing my own little inspection of these caravans, mostly to see if my brother's there, so I'm probably quite distraught two years ago. If you ask me, I'd be like, he's definitely coming back. So I'm kind of very distraught at it, and also probably further distraught by the sight and condition of these caravans, that if my brother is out there, and these types of things are out there, it's kind of a double whammy of uh, disappointment. I would retreat to wherever my happy place is in the city, some nice little, you know, hidden away cubby where I got some sweet bread. Is Matteo going to uh, talk to any of like the, the caravan merchants or like look at any of their wares or is he sort of like watching from a distance and then deciding to return? No, yeah, he'd watch from a distance. Maybe he'd try and like peek a little bit from a distance to see if you can see the inside, especially because now they're kind of maybe a bit more open from the terrors and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of just looking for his brother. Do you want to just roll one perception check to see if you notice anything interesting as you're sort of yeah. scanning these caravans? Uh, oof. Two. It's a bad day. You really are, is. you've had like a rough, a rough one. You're kind of like, well, obviously Felix isn't here, so who needs it? Um, and you head to your hidey hole. Do we want to talk about where and how you live? I feel like when I say like this hidey hole, I imagine something that would be closer to the, uh, actual tower and whatnot. If there's just like some something that would be close to where my brother worked. Maybe, you know, he showed me one day and he's like, it's, it's our little secret spots or something, you know? One thing Jordan and I talked about, about Mateo's character is possibly um, when Felix fr first went missing, that like, seeing as he was the brother of the apprentice Chandler, that people might have tried to step in and sort of help him out and um, offer him a place to stay, but that he sort of rejected or ran away from all these offers. Um, and so he kind of just keeps coming back. Yeah. To the the, the response would be something like, well, why would I need that? Like, he's coming back. Yeah. And then through pushing people away for so long, they're not going to keep coming back with those offers, and now we're years, years later where I can't go back to that. And now, like I said again, in this kind of awkward in-between stage of this realization. Mm -hmm. Adolescence. Yeah. You know, 12 to 16, it'll get you. 12 to 16. <laughs> they call it the terrible 12 to 16. <laughs> and let me tell you why. For all, I guess, future conversations, I am going to say I'm 15. Mateo is 15. I am 15. I would like to think that there is, like, even something that I know that the captain over here doesn't know about. Sure. I mean, there might be some quiet places, particularly by the cemetery and the old wall. Yep. Is, um, realistically the highest 
vantage point you can get without going inside the tower. It's on the sort of hilltop neighborhood because it's a cemetery, because it's the old wall, no one spends any time there. These, these are areas with like kind of larger estates, so it's possible there might be like a spare potter's shed or something. Um, that has gone disused that you might have a little hiding near the cemetery. Yeah, that's very poetic considering the situation Well, I'm it, look at the <laughs> canon map of this village available on manyrealms.com um, To see do you have that? I have a map of the village. Oh, I should get manyrealms.com <laughs> So you're in maybe the shed um, by the cemetery. Yeah Do you, you pull up the floorboard pour I don't know some kind of cake uh, Cake in the floorboard? <laughs> Oh, I'm that level of orphan. That, I need to add some dirt to this little player token for you, because I don't think I realized how fucking nasty Mateo was. Do you, do you have your brother's parting gift? Do you carry that with you? Do you keep it in the house? Because I'm not supposed to have it, right? It's not supposed to be away from... You're not supposed to have it. They make a lot of them. It takes a lot of magical effort, whatever. They make a lot of them. Um, so I don't think it would be the end of the world. You'd probably get in significant trouble, and they probably would take it away from you. Exactly. But you wouldn't so. get, like, drawn and quartered. Uh -uh. I definitely don't want it to be taken away, especially given the significance. So I feel like, yeah, though the thing is, it's fire, so you know that's not under the floorboards. So that'd be a bad idea. That's a hazard. That's almost as bad as cake. It, it's on the cake. Yeah, probably if this is my little hidey place. There is like a couple loose bricks, and yeah. I take out the bricks, I put it in there, put the bricks back in kind of a thing so you don't see the light coming through. You pull out the bricks, you take your sympathy candle, and you probably get some of the bread you stole, and you settle down for and a cake. and some cake. <laughs> so a sweet dinner going on for Mateo. I probably have myself a good cry, you know? Probably a great cry. Probably a strong crier. Just yeah. crying alone in a shed by the graveyard. Make a perception check for me. That's just dice, so that's 12. This is something you notice relatively easy anyway, because uh, it is your most traded possession. You take the bricks out of their little hidey spot, you pull out the candle and the cake, and um, you notice that the candle looks a little bit different than the last time you saw it. Sympathy candles don't last indefinitely. They are dependent on the strength of the magic that connects them to the candle at the top of the tower, and that magic is finite. After three, four, five years, sympathy candles start to lose that magic, and slowly, but with a great kind of exponentially increasing speed, the candle becomes mundane. And like a mundane candle, it burns and is used up. And you can see that at the top of this sympathy candle, the edges are soft and small rivulets of wax are starting to drip down the sides, just a little bit, millimeter by millimeter, but that had never happened before. Well, that's the uh, icing on the proverbial uh, cry cake. Okay. I'd want to like try and get a last ditch go find my brother, which is probably quite the leap. But uh, yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'd be at. You hear a noise from outside the little shed. I put my cake back under the floorboard, and <laughs> I'm gonna put the candle back. I would probably reasonably think it's like the captain or something or just the passerby. I don't want them to see the candle. So return things as they were, and if there's like a window or something for me to kind of see what's going on. Yeah, you can see that a short person in a jacket has stumbled just a little bit while walking up the path by your shed um, and has righted themselves and is moving toward the sort of rear uh, lane of the cemetery by the old wall. They don't seem to have noticed you. Uh, can I just continue to watch from the window? Mm -hmm. Okay, I will continue to watch from the window. Okay. We are going to cut to Junipel. That's me. Juniper, for you Anglos out there. And you are out with your mother, Azalea. 
because, of course, it is an early celebration. It is mm-hmm. time to see these merchants and to get a feel for the festival. People, even though the caravan is a little smaller, a little slighter, are excited. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of crowds ebbing and flowing and checking out all of the wares. Azalea is a little quiet. And as you make your way down the main street, she turns to you and she says, um, Juniper, darling, how did everything go at the chandlery today? It was fine. You know, another day. Mm-hmm. You, you only seem a little quiet is all. It's a Friday. I'm a bit stressed after a long week. It's a fantasy Friday. Of course, it's fantasy Friday. <laughs> I suppose that's all right. Everything is going well. Keon is treating you well. Yeah, yeah. Keon is great. And um, you're on track, of course, to complete your apprenticeship. Of course. Yeah. What? Well, why? No, I just... I wonder sometimes about the way our family is seen in this village, with your grandmother and all. It just means so much to me that you have such an opportunity and that you've embraced it so readily. That's all I wanted to say. I feel guilty. I don't say that out loud. Why don't I buy you a little something? What would you like to get? Um, what are my options? There was feet lady. (laughs) There was the magical trinkets. There was weapons. There was horses. She's not going to buy you a horse. There was a fourth one. There's a luxury goods one. I probably was interested in the magical trinkets. Sure. Yeah, okay. Um, You head over to Granny's little... So a lot of them sort of um, have, like, wagons that open on the side and create, like, a little kind of markety thing. Some of them bring their wagon right up to, like, a little pre-prepared stall. So Granny has a little stall where she's got uh, a bunch of little kind of cheap-looking bits of jewelry dangling from nails driven into the wall of the stall. She's got uh, little kind of chests and boxes along the front and a couple of what look like small potion bottles along the left-hand side. And she says, Hello, little missy. Is that my voice? (laughs) Probably. Yeah, but you said she was very sarcastic. Hello, little missy. No. What do you want? No. Hi. Hi, um, what am I looking at? Uh, we have some of the allegedly finest magical trinkets in this half of the thicket. We've got enchanted rings and wands and vials of stuff. What are you after? I'm probably, I don't know enough about magic to be after anything specific. Azalea says, my daughter right here has a very important job in this village. Oh my God, mom. And she is a celebrated member of this community and it is my fervent belief that she deserves a reward for her hard work. And Granny's like, you're going to pay for it, right? And Zayla's like, yeah, yes, I'm going to pay for it, but let's find her something special, shall we? And Granny's I like... I am mortified. <laughs> Granny don't care. Granny takes your money. Granny reaches... Well, she kind of reaches her hand all along the front, kind of feels stuff out, and then runs her hands up the wall where all the little bits of jewelry are hanging. Ooh... Granny's got something for you. And she takes a pair of earrings down off a hook. Uh, They look like simple gold hoops, and they have a strand of green wire Mm -hmm. coiled around them. And she says, these are pretty nice. Just came in last week, and uh, I think they'd look just real charming on your little girl here. And Zillie says, I'm not just going to buy strange jewelry from a woman at a stall. What do they do? (laughs) Granny says, 
they allow the bearer to hear the wonders of nature all around them. And Azalea says, people can already hear, what? You can hear (laughs) nature. Nature can make sounds. And Granny says, not like this, they can't. That's uh, four gold pieces if you got it. And that's pretty steep for this village. I want to make that clear. And Azalea says, Juniper? It's, that's, it's fine. It's okay. I don't need anything. They would look quite beautiful on you. And she reaches into her purse and pulls out painfully, one by one, one, two, three, four gold pieces. And she slaps them down on the ground. Not on the ground. She slaps them on the counter. (laughs) Granny um, reaches forward to slip them into her coin purse. And then Granny slumps down onto the countertop, hitting her cheek against it. And then Granny starts to scream. I start to scream. Am I around? Can I run up? Yes. What What is happening? Like, she's literally just slumped down screaming? After a couple of seconds, she kind of rears back up, but she's still screaming. She says, oh gods, oh gods, what's going on? Uh, what happened? And she looks up all of you and she seems to not recognize you the same way she did a second ago? Granny? Wait, who's that? Oh, 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 God, you have to, you, Captain, guard, lady, you need to help, you need to do something. Tell me what needs to be done. She escaped. Who, who escaped? I don't know, she was, she was on the wagon. There, There were two of them, she, she charmed me. I couldn't say anything. She hid, she hid and she's here somewhere. Granny, I need you to tell me what she looks like and what direction they went in. Human, human woman, dark hair. I don't know where she went. She said, she said, she said these words and then I couldn't say anything. You have to stop her. I think she wants to hurt you. Me? Everyone. Okay, I, do I know Juniper? You definitely know, like, at a glance, like, she is the person who was the apprentice Chandler. You. I need you to tell everybody what's happening. We're, this is what we're on the lookout for. Just that there's this lady. Figure it out. <laughs> and I go and run for people I don't recognize. Make a perception check. Ten. Okay. Anisha? Yeah. What time do you go to bed? I meditate for a long time before I go to bed. So I don't think I sleep very long. I think mm-hmm. I meditate most of the time. Is it like a pretty deep meditation? <laughs> You're a half-elf. That's a whole elfy deal, maybe. Or just you're a cool tower person. Mm -hmm. After a while, you start because you hear something. It sounds a little bit like some moaning, like some maybe distressed moaning, and it's coming from downstairs. You're on the third floor of the tower, and the first floor is the sort of grand chamber. The second floor, of course, is the apprentice's room and the storeroom. Third floor is your chamber, it gets kind of narrower, and the fourth is the tower, or is the candle chamber. I would like to firstly check if the candle room is, like, secure, mm-hmm. and then I'll run downstairs. The candle room is not secure. It's not secure! It's not secure. Oh no, I haven't been doing my job. You walk up the stairs to the candle room, and you see that the door is ajar. Inside, the candle is flickering shedding beautiful teal tinted light across the stone walls and out the window over the thicket. Mm -hmm. Standing between you and the candle is a human woman with dark hair. She is wearing a a long heavy robe and she turns when she hears you come in and she says, 
I'd rather not hurt you. What are you doing in my tower? She answers you by pulling out a wand and aiming it at the candle. Ah! No! Stop! And she mutters a word to herself and a jet of white light erupts from the end of the wand directly to the center of the candle, which explodes. Ah! Into perhaps a thousand pieces that fly around the room. You need to make a dexterity saving check. Mm -hmm. 18. Okay. You do not sustain any damage from flying gigantic head-sized chunks of wax. The woman turns back and she says, I'll be going now. What have you done? What I needed to do. No, no you don't understand. You ruined everything. You ruined everything. Oh, gosh. She runs past you. Oh. I, I, I don't know what... I kind of just fall to my knees, I think, if I'm at a loss. <laughs> She says, um, as she's heading down the stairs, you might want to check on them. Who's them? Them? And, uh, you don't hear anymore, but as you sink to your knees in the silence of this room, you do hear the same moaning sounds coming from downstairs. Oh gosh, the children, the children. Ah, I run. Inside the apprentice's room, Naola is tied up on her bed. She has a gag stuffed in her mouth. Oh, goodness. I undo it. <laughs> She says, Master Anisha, I'm not hurt, I'm okay, but I don't know where they put Seth. They took his key. That's how they got in. When we went out to the market. Okay, uh... Are you okay? Yes, yes, I'm fine. Um... What should we do? Well, we need to, uh... We need to find Seth. Mateo, you are in your shack, crying, eating cake. Yep. Just like me on my 21st birthday. And... Suddenly, your sympathy candle goes out. It's in the bricks. Yeah. So the light kind of coming through the cracks oh, disappears. Well, then I would peel. I would peel out the bricks. Yeah, and in a sort of greater sense, the faint sort of approximation of moonlight that would be coming from the tower is also gone. The room is suddenly pitch black when it wasn't before. You hear noises outside again. I probably would actually just freak out at this point. Okay. You're going to freak out inside the shed? I mean, yeah, in darkness, kicking stuff, doing whatever. Just having a bit of a tantrum, really. Captain Alvera, you rolled a 10 on your perception check? Yeah. Granny says, um, back here, back here! And she hobbles forward and grabs your arm and leads you around to the back of her wagon where there is Seth, tied up with a gag in his mouth in the back of the wagon. Seth, and I'll undo his gag. The lady took my key. She's going to the tower. Okay, is he fully un untied? Yes. Pick him up, take him out of the caravan, <laughs> let's go, Seth. Okay. Run to the tower. Uh, Juniper? Yeah. What are I'm you doing? Probably trying to comfort my mom. Okay. And then I say, I think I'm I think I should go. Yes, I'm sure they need you to do something somewhere. Yeah, and I follow along to the tower, I think. You're gonna follow Captain Alvera? Yeah. Sure. Almakova and Toby are uh, have come to the Market Street to kind of calm down where the bulk of the townspeople are. And you head up sort of the main road past the stable to where the tower is. And when you're about halfway up, that's when you see uh, a flash of white light from the top of the tower and then the candle going out. And as you draw closer, you see a figure sprint out of the front door of the tower and take a sharp left to head towards the cemetery. I want to chase after her and yell, Halt! Captain of the Guard! You coming too? Yeah, I'll pursue. Okay. You run through the gorgeous 
hilltop neighborhood, now awash in a darkness so deep that you could not have imagined it. And in front of you, the woman is sprinting as though her life depends on it. Um, Her thick, wild black hair is flying loose, and she ducks around a cottage over a hedge and tries to lose you as she makes her way toward the cemetery. Um, Both of you should make a... Let's just say dexterity. 16. Yeah. Uh, 17. 12. Cool. Okay. Captain Alvaro, you're able to keep up very easily. Juniper, you are not a guard who <laughs> chases people through the streets ever, so you're like, whoa! It's a lot. So by the time you round the corner, you see Captain Alvera draw her... I think it was an axe? Yes. Draw her axe and approach this woman. She seems to be pinned in now between Captain Alvera, the cemetery on one side, a shack on the other side, and the old wall behind her. Another figure stands up and kind of unfurls from the shadows behind the cemetery. It looks like they've been sitting against the cemetery gate for a while. Um, It is a smaller humanoid who is wearing a thick black robe with like a heavy hood that obscures their face. And the woman says something to him very quietly, and he turns and raises his hand. And along the gate of the cemetery, the children have been placing their little wax poppets. And when this figure raises his hand, these poppets start to wiggle and shift and move (laughs) with new light and rip themselves down from the gate of the cemetery and form a line between the two of you and the two of them. Roll for initiative. Oh no, I have no abilities. I know, it's great. Oh man. Oh my god. Seven. Four. Okay. So you are in a sort of square field. To the north is the shed. You don't know that Mateo is hiding out in there, but he's starting to hear all the noises that are erupting from behind his little hidey hole. To the south is the gate of the cemetery from which these wax poppets have unveiled themselves and formed a line running north to south that separates halfway down this field. On the other side of this field are the two figures, one short, one tall, and the old wall, so-called because it is a dilapidated section of the Tower Hill village wall that was never quite fully repaired for historical and cultural reasons. We can get into it, but it is quite shambly and and craggy and cracky. Um, And it is the Monstars' turn first. Okay, so they're going to try to swarm you two at a time. You guys know what your ACs are? 16. 11. They both hit. All of that, one of them crits on you and deals you uh, six points of damage. Ooh. And Juniper, you take one point of damage as it waxy with like a surprisingly stiff waxen limb. Mm-hmm. Now it is Juniper's turn. So I have my little dagger. I have never had to use it before. So I kind of scream mm-hmm. and just... Stab. Scream and stab. The good old... The old scream and stab. It's a good combo. I've heard good things. Um, and I roll... Ooh, a nat 20. Okay. Uh, roll your damage with your dagger. Uh, so six. And then do you add your strength modifier to that? Five. Okay. Do you have a dex modifier? I have a dex modifier of zero. Oh, okay. So we'll do... Because a dagger's finesse, so you could just take the dex and do it. Call it six. Okay. You stab one of the wax figures. It's tum-tum. It's surprisingly soft. 
and um, as you sort of slice through, it kind of falls apart in like melty chunks. Nice. And you get 50 XP. Hey. <laughs> Olivet, it's your turn. Uh, I'm going to go for this puppet in front of me. So, 15. That hits. And 7. Okay, you've also destroyed one and gained 50 hit points. Great. Mateo, do you do anything? Would I even hear this? I'm freaking out. They hear me, that's for sure. That's true. You, all of you hear screams coming from each other in a nice <laughs> kind of beautiful musical round. Can I recognize who that is? Yeah, you just saw him a couple hours ago. You hear Mateo screaming. I assume he's in danger, so am I out of, I still have movement, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to run towards the shed. Okay, you're going to risk an attack opportunity. Yeah, that's fine. One point of damage. Okay. I'm not doing so hot. No, he did crit on you the first time. Like the first roll I ever did at this campaign. Huh. Okay. Mateo! I don't answer. Is that your turn? I, yeah, I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, it is the bad boy's turn. I've been left alone. Oh no. You've been left alone. They are going to swarm sweet Juniper. So sorry. Your AC was 14? 11. Hello? Okay, one of them hits. Uh, you are dealt one point of damage. But the two figures at the end seem to have finished their conversation, and they look back at you, Juniper. I'm kind of crying. The tall, not tall, but like a medium size as opposed to a short size um, woman says to the shorter humanoid figure, stop, we don't need to do this, that's enough. And he raises his hand again, and the poppets fall into the grass, uh, motionless and solid, inanimate wax once more. I scream again. Great. The woman turns to face the old wall of the village, and she pulls out a wand. And she murmurs a word to herself, and another blinding jet of white light erupts from the end of the wand and directly smashes into the old wall. Chunks of old bricks and masonry and wooden posts fly everywhere as a huge hole is gouged into the center of the wall that protects Tower Hill. And the two of them run out. Can I try to still catch her? Yeah. I'm gonna. Okay. You um, can make another dexterity check. 14. Sure. Okay, so you head forward. You leave Mateo crying and screaming inside the shed. You leave Juniper crying and screaming on the grass. Uh, I'll come back, everyone. And you head towards this hole in the village. You are... Do you have dark vision? No, I'm a human. Okay, so... The thicket is dark. Impenetrably black and lightless. And within a second of even getting a few feet away from that exterior of the stone wall... You realize that after sunset, it would be suicide to go a step farther. You can hear hisses and clicks and whispers from the grass and underbrush that spreads out from you in every direction. All right, I'll go back. You head back. Anisha, where were you going to go? Uh, I mean, my candle exploded. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to watch over. Fair enough. <laughs> and my second apprentice is missing. So about a minute after you say we're going to go find Seth, he does run into um, the tower where he was rescued by Juniper and all of that. I make sure he's okay. He seems okay. He's crying. 
Nail is crying. <laughs> I, I hug both of them. Okay. You kneel because they're quite short and you collect both of them in an embrace in this dark tower that never before needed any extra torch or light or flicker of anything and was always lit by Yulikon's candle that is now completely dark. Thank you for listening to the first ever episode of Many Realms. We are so excited to be launching this podcast. We are an actual play RPG podcast, starting out with a D&D campaign called Tallow. We're super excited to have everyone hear the rest of it. And if you liked what you heard today, please spread the word. Tell your friends. Check us out on Twitter or on Instagram at The Realms Cast. And let us know what you thought. We'll be putting out episodes every two weeks. And then once this campaign concludes, we'll be trying other systems with other players and having lots more fun. We'll see you next time on Many Realms.